welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. We are right at the beginning of a new series of messages, one that took several months to unpack designed to help people better understand and actually live out their Christian faith. You know, in my day-to-day ministry, I meet way too many people who live in fear. That's particularly true right now with all the COVID-19 pandemic news. As I record this introduction, we are now eight months into the pandemic, and the news is getting better, but fear is still very, very strong. Now, that's no surprise. But what concerns me is that so many Christians who should be living their lives smartly but with real confidence in God are actually living in fear. I know some who've been holed up in their homes since the pandemic began, not because they have a health condition that puts them at risk, but because they're afraid. This series, Know What You Believe, based upon the framework of the historic Apostles' Creed, is designed to help folks like you have a better grasp on what you say you believe, know what those key points of faith mean for your daily life, and help you actually live them out. In today's installment, we talk about believing itself. We talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ and even what faith in Jesus does for our fear and our shame. And just a programming note, this episode was recorded the first Sunday that we had to be out of our normal worship space, away from our regular equipment, and we were dealing with remote equipment, some of which was not cooperating. Most of the little noises that you'll hear at the beginning are resolved within the first few minutes. Like other churches across the country, our webcast and our audio files got better with each week as we learned to operate during this time of quarantine. So, how's your faith? I hope it's a bit stronger after you hear this message. I did want to share with you a scripture that Pastor John is going to be preaching from. It's coming from Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17. In fact, it says, The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how 
Will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone who welcomes the good news. For, uh, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. Well, interesting times we live in, and we get to learn on the fly like everybody else this week. The, uh, the story I want to tell by introduction today um, is actually a pretty well-known story. It's, um, it's something that took place over 150 years ago. Uh, it's been used as an illustration by many different speakers over the years, and, and many pastors, but it just illustrates the uh, the point of our message today beautifully, and so I felt pretty strongly this was the best way for us to start because of the point that it makes. It's a story about a man named Charles Blondin, uh, a Frenchman. He was a French tightrope artist, world-renowned for his incredible theatrics on the tightrope. Um, he would garner massive crowds wherever he went as he would go and, and do his, his feats. His favorite place to walk the tightrope was actually the Canadian Gorge of Niagara Falls. That's 2,200 feet across, so we're over a quarter mile, pushing on a half mile for him to walk and nearly 200 feet above the water. And keep in mind that that water runs underneath him at approximately 6 million cubic feet every minute. So just thundering water under him as he's walking across this gorge. He would thrill audiences who would often come in masses, probably in, in morbid curiosity, to watch to see if he actually would make it or not. One time... He walked across the Canadian Gorge, blindfolded, if you can believe it. One time he walked across the Canadian Gorge, carrying a grown man on his back, piggyback. One time he walked across the Canadian Gorge on stilts. And in fact, if you Google his name, there is actually a picture there of him walking across the, uh, the gorge on stilts. One time he hopped across the gorge in a burlap bag like a sack race. Once he sat down right in the middle of the gorge on the rope, having, having taken something like a, a camp stove strapped to his back, somehow fashioned it, secured the, the camp stove there on the rope in the middle of the gorge, lit it up, fried an egg, ate the egg, and then packed it all up and went the rest of the way across the rope. But one time, he walked across and back, pushing a wheelbarrow. And when he got back to the side where the audience was standing, he asked them, he said, so do you think I can do it again? And of course the crowd just shouted, yes, of course you can do it again. And then he said, do you think I can do it again, pushing a grown man in this wheelbarrow? And, and of course the crowd said, yes, even more enthusiastically. And then he asked for a volunteer. And the crowd went 
deafeningly silent. And there was a long pause until a single man stepped out from the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. Friends, when it comes to the Christian faith, there are the masses that shout, I believe! And then there are those precious few that climb into the wheelbarrow with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we start off our series here with these words, I believe, we need to take them pretty seriously. There's a lot of the Christian world that gives lip service to you. But given our illustration here at the beginning, I believe what you call us to is wheelbarrow faith. And so, Father, today I I just pray that you will help everybody to step away from the things that are distracting us in these crazy days. You'll wash me clean once again of, of my sin. And you will enable me, Jesus, to be your vessel this morning to make these scriptures understandable. And that, Father, when we come out the other side of this message, together we will be able to see, to say, with confidence and conviction, I believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, when when you and I say, I believe, we are effectively invoking the Greek word pistuo. Now, I'm not saying that just to, to wow everybody with my Greek knowledge. It's an important word. It's a word that is really an incredible backbone word in the Greek language in the New Testament. It's used a lot in the New Testament. And it's important for us as we move on through this series to understand what I believe really means from a biblical standpoint. This word pistuo really has three primary nuances that are all kind of layered on top of each other. It means all three of these things simultaneously. The first thing that it means is to believe in. Now that's just simply saying uh, we're giving mental assent to what we've concluded is true or is factual, it's real. We, we say, oh yeah, I, I believe that. I, I, I can connect my brain with that. I can understand that. The second piece of this definition, which comes simultaneously with that mental assent, is to have confidence in. This speaks to the faithfulness of something, the reliability of something the consistency, the steadfastness of something. And so when we say, I believe, we're saying what we believe in, we believe it to be reliable. We we believe it to be steadfast. The third definition, which again is layered right there all, all simultaneously, is to put trust in. This speaks of what we're calling today wheelbarrow faith. 
This is acting upon or living out what we say we believe. This is acting out or living out what we say we have confidence in. The Greek word pistuo is what we want to experience and to live out when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of of mental assent. It's not just a matter of of lip service, but actually a full-on trust of Jesus every single day. And building that kind of faith out is why we're looking at the tenets of the framework of the Apostles' Creed in this series over the next few months, because it helps us see what those non-negotiables of the faith are so that we can have all of our faith bases covered, if you will. So let's talk about what real faith, real belief looks like. And that brings us back to our passage this morning that Michael read from Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome about their faith. And the first thing he tells us in verse 8 is that real faith requires both lip service and full confidence. It's not enough, friends, for us to simply espouse what we believe. Anybody can do that. Anybody can tell you with their mouth what they believe. One of the reasons why so many people outside of the church today look at Christians and call them hypocrites is because they say one thing, but their life shows something completely different. It's reality. And so here, we want to have this faith not just coming across our lips, but indelibly rooted in our hearts. Here, Paul quotes from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 about how Moses is is talking about how God is turning Israel's heart to the Lord. And in reality, Paul is using that on purpose because God is turning our hearts to the Lord in the midst of this faith transformation that's taking place. What people need is for this real faith, what people need for this real faith is, is not far away. It's not hard to grasp. It's, it's not on the other side of the earth or in the depths, as, as Paul says. It's not hard to get. God actually has drawn us. He's wooed us to his heart, and now we must respond from our hearts back to him in the same way. When the mouth and the heart are in sync on this matter, there will always be a faith response. The next thing Paul tells us is that real faith begins with two things. And the first is the lip service. Confession with our mouth that Jesus is indeed Lord. That word Lord is important. For those that are part of the Palmwood family, we've, we've talked about that before. But the, the, for those that are not a part of the Palmwood family, Lord, we're really talking about master. We're calling Jesus king. When we call him Lord, it means we are going to do whatever he asks us to do. When we call him master, it means we are surrendered to him in every area of our lives, or at least we're working toward that surrender in every area of our lives. Confession with the mouth is the outward expression. It's important, but it's not enough. Please know that Paul is not telling us here that we can simply be saved by the confession of our mouth. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he goes on to say that there's something more. There's a corresponding response with the heart that is required as well. So there's a public declaration of surrender 
to Christ. Which brings us to the second thing, conviction with the heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. There is wheelbarrow faith that the resurrection is real. It really happened. Now, if you were with us last week, we said that the crucifixion is the pivotal component of all biblical theology. All of the Old Testament points to the cross of Christ. All of the New Testament looks back to the cross of Christ. The resurrection is a non-negotiable like that as well. We must pistuo this. Not just have it in our heads, not just be confident that it's true, but actually be living it out. We must give it mental assent, yes. We must see it as reliable. But our whole life must be based upon it. Otherwise, Jesus is not really Lord. Real faith begins with a combination of confession with the mouth and conviction in the heart. He then goes on to say something beautiful in verse 10. He uses this $10 word justification, that real faith offers us justification. Uh, we've said this before, but for those that may be new with us today, there's, there's a, a Sunday school saying for kids that helps us define what justification is. Justification is saying, it's just as if I never sinned. Justification. In our believing, in our wheelbarrow faith, we are justified. Justified has to do with our righteousness. Now, friends, you and I will never be righteous enough for God. Sin has so permeated us, we make such bad decisions, we are so self-centered at times, we don't get along with other people, there is conflict, there's layer upon layer upon layer of things that sin has done to humanity. We can never be righteous enough on our own. But just uh, earlier in this very same letter, Paul in chapter 1 tells us that because Jesus reigns, we are given his righteousness. There's a righteousness that is revealed to us, that is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel being that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus reigns. And because he reigns, we can be saved. Because he reigns, we can be forgiven. Because he reigns, we can live in, for all eternity with God in glory. All those things are true. But the gospel, the good news is that Jesus reigns, which makes all those other things our reality. There is justification that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. God, who is the righteous judge, judges, declares that if we are in Christ, he now sees in us Jesus' righteousness, which is perfect. Jesus' righteousness, which is enough. Then he says that real faith leads to salvation. In our confessing, we are saved. The combination of the heart and the mouth in this faith declaration produces both Christ's, righte Christ's righteousness in us and Christ's salvation in us. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, says Paul, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Real faith, I love this, deals with our shame. Verse 11. Paul says, anyone who trusts in him, that is in Christ, will never be put to shame. Friends, we all are embarrassed by something. We are all shamed by something in our lives. Some people have to deal with deeper layers of, of shame. The chief tactic of sin is to shame us. The, the chief tactic of Satan 
is accusation. He's called the accuser of the brothers. But accusation only works when we are already feeling shame. You see, when we are in Christ, when we have this real faith, when we really believe, then Jesus takes that tool away from Satan so that there is no longer any shame. In Christ, we no longer have anything to be ashamed of because the Scripture tells us he's washed all of that away. Real faith is for everyone, verses 11 through 13. I love this. God makes this offer of real salvation by real faith to every man, woman, and child across the globe. Nobody is excluded. Listen to these promises from the scriptures. Our scripture today, Romans 10, verse 11. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or from John 3.16, another verse that many people know. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus. Or 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Listen, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Real faith is for everyone who believes. Real faith has a recipe. There's, there's, there's a process that draws us deeply into faith. Verses 14 and 15. There's a God-designed progression that we should all pay attention to. Number one, those needing saving faith, saving pistuo, need to call on Jesus. There's the confessing with the lips. Number two, those needing saving faith, saving pistuo, need to believe in Jesus. There's the heart that we've talked about. Number three, those needing saving faith, needing someone, they they need someone, perhaps many people over a period of time, to preach the good news to them so they can hear it and believe. And those who preach, number four, the good news to those who need the saving faith, they must be sent, presumably, by the church. The good news, the gospel, the message that Jesus reigns is the foundation of all of this. There is a progression that God uses to draw people from all around the world, men, women, children, into full and complete saving faith. Not just Christian religious activity, that that doesn't cut it, but wheelbarrow faith. Not just being among the crowd that says, we believe but a life that is so trusting in Jesus will get in the wheelbarrow, as it were. Their mouths don't just confess it, but their lives demonstrate full reliance upon it. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord like that will be saved. Finally, in verse 17, Paul tells us that real faith is rooted in the word of Christ. We talked about this last week as we talked about the Apostles' Creed being our framework for these next several weeks, learning about the the important tenets of the faith, that every one of those statements in the Creed is based upon apostolic teaching or the teaching of Jesus himself. Every one of those statements in the Creed is rooted, rooted in the Scriptures. 
And so if faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ, the gospel, the, the word of God, the word of God becomes the very foundation of our faith, our belief, our pistuo, our wheelbarrow faith. Here's the point, friends. It's not enough for you and me to believe in our head. It's not enough. It's not enough for us to just say we believe with our lips. It's not enough. The call is for full-on faith, what a friend of mine calls full-contact faith. We believe, yes. We have confidence, yes, absolutely. But we also take it to that last step where we trust completely and we walk it out. And we build that kind of faith from knowing and living according to the non-negotiables that are found in the apostolic teaching, the words of Jesus himself in the scriptures. And that's why we're on this journey right now, is to know but also to embody our faith as expressed in the Apostles' Creed. My prayer is that God uses this time not just to teach us intellectually, but to drive these truths deep to our hearts, that they literally become a part of who we are. This morning I just leave you with this question. How firm is your faith? Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.